This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Hi, my name is Peter Tomasi. Hi, this is James Hyman IV. Hi, I'm Dan Jurgen. Hey, I'm Duffy Wynn. This is Jim Lee. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. This is Mark Hamill speaking. This is Kevin Conroy. This is Tim Sale. Hello, everyone. I'm Batman, and you're listening to my podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, Season 12, Episode 12, Legacy Number 299. Today, we are resuming our normal Batman coverage. We thank all of you listeners who stuck with us through Harleen and Lil Gotham and the two White Knight miniseries. I had an enormously great time with my co-hosts and those titles, but I am really excited to be back. And uh, with me, I have my normal co-hosts. This is Steph. And this is Anonymous Camel. <laughs> That's Theo. Today, we're going to be reviewing Detective Comics number 1,022 and Batman number 92. We will also do a mention of Batman Secret Files number 3. But before that, we have a little bit of comic news. First is, next week is episode 300. We're going to be doing a special review of both Catwoman 80th Anniversary 100-page Super Spectacular and Joker 80th Anniversary 100-page Super Spectacular. We're also going to have two special segments, original Batman Universe comic podcast host, creator, and senior editor, and all the other titles. Dustin will return for a segment in which he gives his thoughts on DC Comics and Batman, and long-time Batman Universe comic podcast co-host and creator and current host of Batgirl to Oracle, Stella, will join us for a shipper spotlight. I think both segments were going to be really great, and I'm really excited to talk about those two spectacular, really long issues. They're going to be uneven, as all these anthologies are, but I think we'll have really good discussion about all of them. But... We have another piece of news. We've got that DC is going to be using a new distributor and not going to be using Diamond at all. They were going to, according to their releases, going to use all three, depending on, you know, whatever distributors, um, I mean, not distributors, sorry, comic stores wanted to use. But now they're saying we're not going to go through Diamond anymore at all. Our trades are going to go into, through Penguin Random House and their... Regular issues are going to go through, I want to say, Lunar and Midtown. UCS. Yeah, UCS. I don't really have a, a comment on this, because my comic shop hasn't been using them, and another comic shop that I've been visiting has been using them. It seems to be working, but it's also a little more difficult. I've heard it's very expensive for international, because they haven't figured out how to give shipping discounts yet, which Diamond already had prearranged contracts for. We're going to have to see how this shakes out, so I don't really have much more. Anyone have thoughts on that? What? So I know we've been 
posting a lot of stuff in the Discord that I definitely have not been reading. <laughs> um, why why are people so upset, or like why are the stores upset, or boycotting, or whatever? I mean, the stores are upset for a lot of different reasons. A lot of them are used to Diamond, even though they don't like Diamond that much. They're at least familiar with how to order, so if they do this, they're going to have to learn a whole new ordering system. There's yeah, also the devil, you know. Yeah, and there's also yeah. a um, a problem with the fact that Diamond had uh, discounts set up, so if you ordered a lot of comics, then you would, you know, have a cheaper price. And the new distributors apparently don't have that set up yet. They might never do that, but I mean, I wouldn't rule it out. I would say this is an opportunity, and I think DC is right to do it. I think this may or may not have been the best time, but it also might have been the only time if they wanted to really give their new distributors a boost and a shot at growing to be big enough to challenge Diamond to survive. Because, I mean, Diamond basically swallowed up all of the other distributors at the end of the 90s when Marvel collapsed most of the rest with their Heroes World debacle. So, well, the, and, 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 and probably the third biggest issue is the fact that both Lunar and UCS are owned by comic shops. Now, both Midtown and, and DCBS, and full disclosure, I am a DCBS customer, but you know, they are both huge online retailers, and most comic shops... Despite the fact that they they get most of their business, you know, in online retail, you know, consider consider those those two businesses as direct competitors. I don't necessarily agree with that, but hey, as someone who is who collects DC heavy books and is a DCBS customer, you know, this this works out pretty fine with me. I think. One of the other issues is that with regards to the discount, I don't think that in the new setup that that Lunar and UCS are really gonna have much say in the disc in the discounts as much as DC will. I was in a conversation with an individual on Reddit, you know, and we were going back and forth, and that was one of the things that uh, you know he was a comic shop owner, and that was one of the things that. He was pointing out with how DC was going to control the discounts that shops were going to be getting. So uh, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that's going on. I, I I still ultimately think that there is something going on at Diamond that we may not know about yet. You know, but again, I'm a DCBS customer, so it 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 doesn't hurt me at all with regards to my typical shipments. Um, you know, I don't, I don't have a local shop too close to where I live, so that's how I've been buying since February. I think that's a really good set of points. I also want to point out that Diamond basically said all the money that we owe DC and Marvel, we're only going to pay 25% of that money for an indefinite amount of time. So, you know, DC being acquired by AT&T, their parent companies, Warner Brothers and AT&T, are going to look at you have a lot of money owed you by your distributor. Your distributor is incredibly unstable. They're laying off people and they're saying they're not going to pay you more than 25 cents on the dollar for the foreseeable future. And they're refusing to open back up. So I think this is a move that 
is going to be disruptive. I do want to acknowledge that it's going to cause a lot of disruption and a lot of chaos and uncertainty and businesses are going to close, but I'm hoping that it means also new businesses will open. I'm hoping that Diamond will view these people as competitors and therefore change its practices to be, you know, it'll, it won't damage as much stock. It won't charge customers cash up front, even though it's not paying DZ and Marvel cash up front. I, I think that this is a good pressure, but I also think that we should be prepared for a lot of change that may be painful for quite a while. On top of the fact that, you know, it's just a very painful market in general because people have lost their jobs and, and so forth. But hopefully we won't spend too much time talking about such downer things, but it is big news for DC and Batman. And I thought we should have a little discussion. And Theo brought some, some very important information that I'd not considered. All right, let's get moving on our reviews. Our first one will be Detective Comics 1022. Detective Comics 1022, written by Peter Tomasi, art by Brad Walker. Batman awakens and finds himself tied up and dangling over a vat of acid. Two-Face is explaining some of his recent events. The sudden changes between Harvey and Two-Face, the further scarring of his body, his new church, the coin's important role in all of it. As he flips the coin to the scar side, he tells Vice, one of his main followers, do no good, and sends him off. Harvey feels it's time for Batman to join the ranks via baptism. As Batman is lured into the vat of acid, he frees his hand from the dissolving rope and fires spikes from his gauntlet, bursting through the metal vat, sending acid across the floor. As the acid spreads across the floor, Two-Face's disciples sacrifice themselves in order for their leader to make it to higher ground. As Harvey climbs, Batman seizes his utility belt to retrieve the gravel gun. He fires it, creating a tight rope across the room. As Batman gets away, he tells the followers to grab hold to save themselves. At the site of the future home of the New Hope Children's Hospital, Vice and another goon are sending plastic explosive charges to, in plain sight of the kids' wing across the street. Confused, the kids watching, waving, and holding up signs to the strangers outside their window. Vice's partner is not feeling the idea of blowing up the site so close to the children's wing. Vice fails to have him to refocus, and as he le turns to leave, Vice pushes him off the ledge. As he falls to the ground, Batman swoops in and takes out Vice before he can finish setting the final charge. Before leaving, Batman gives the kids a smile. In another part of Gotham, Batman is speaking to the wife of one of Two-Face's followers, who is presumed dead. She gives Batman details of how he was able to get out of prison after his terminal diagnosis and the terms that allowed her and her family to be financially set for life. Batman promises her that she will have no trouble from him and he leaves. He returns to Vice 
who is tied and gagged, and questions him further about how he came to know Two-Face. Vice explains that he was living on the street. He and a partner, who turns out to be Versa, found Harvey with a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Unconscious, but still alive, Vice and Versa auction Harvey's body off to the highest bidder. Days later, the Joker shows up with money. They take Two-Face to Hugo Strange, where Strange surgically places a device on the bullet in in Harvey's head. This device, which included tweaks by the Mad Hatter, would allow the Joker to place different thoughts and bouts of memory loss into Harvey's mind. In another part of town, the Joker is trying to break through some concrete. Frustrated, he takes out a stick of dynamite and blows up the concrete. As the dust settles behind the Joker, a crumbled statue of the Court of Owls appeal. The Joker has a new recruit. So, we finally have an answer to a question we were asking, which is, why is Harvey leading a cult? And that is that Joker is mind-controlling him using a surgery that happened at the beginning of the New 52, since he's doing his face mask thing, and using Mad Hatter technology. Do you find this revelation, this plot twist, a success, or do you think it's a little disappointing? Well, I kind of called it a little bit because I was wondering if there was someone telling Joker or telling telling Harvey what to do because there was references to that earlier, but it was a little unclear if he was just crazy. You should or... play the audio clip of you predicting it. I should. I totally should. I'm so smart. The only thing I think right now that's giving me hope for this story is that maybe it is something that Harvey has no control over at all and and maybe someone's messing with him like that's my only hope for this story is that it's maybe harvey isn't the big bad in this that there is someone else pulling harvey's strings so in that way i mean he did a good job foreshadowing it i kind of saw that coming but you know it's also nice to know who it is and what their motivation is or at least a glimpse of what their motivation is so in that way it's it's fine um also it kind of describe explains why Harvey might be being weird, and why the heck it's another cult? <laughs> At least it's Joker's on originality and not Two Faces on originality, <laughs> or rather, Tomasi. But whatever. But no, I I thought all in all, there was it was fine to have that be what it was. It really explains why so much focus of the art in the first issue was on that bullet because that was that was gross. That I. I actually didn't really know what was going on because a lot of the words overlaying it had nothing to do with the really vi- graphic visuals of a bullet lodged in his brain. <laughs> so I, I felt overall that it was definitely, yeah, I was I was content. I don't know if satisfied is a word I'd use, but I was, I was content with the explanation given. So first of all, I, you know, as I did in my review, I got to give kudos to... Tomasi for how he tied it back uh, to his run on Batman and Robin. And I actually had to go in and, and pull those issues just to kind of catch up on things to um, remember how it all went down. Yeah, I, I think so as someone who 
always find himself reading the solicits. You know, I kind of knew what was going to happen. So, you Peter. Know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So, however, so, you know, I, I knew that in the end it was going to be Joker and, and why it was going to be Joker. But I like how, how Tomasi handled it. Um, also, I also want to say kudos because they were some edit to the notes to tell you, hey, go read Batman and Robin. Um, but no, I, di- I didn't. <laughs> it saves the arc some, you know, because as we as we spoke about it, you know, way back when when we first covered the issues, it it really had us lost, you know, the idea of. of Another Colton. This this doesn't look like a Harvey Dent, a Two Face that we're used to seeing. But now we have some answers as to you know why he's acting this way, and I think that makes it a little bit more palatable. Um, but there's still some things with regards to how you know Harvey's treated that I'm not too crazy about. I think that it's reasonably clever, and as I think we've all said, I like the fact that they're working towards a more shared storytelling approach than they have for the last, I would argue, 10 years, since the start of the New 52. Batman is leading, but the other titles are following in a way that isn't disruptive. I will say that this felt reasonably organic, in terms of building up to Joker War and the tie-in. I I guess, I mean, we're still in the middle, and the question that I have about this is, does it feel a little bit like Joker War might be overshadowing the current story arcs? Do you, do you feel like, instead of being their own stories, this Harvey story is turning out to be Detective Comics Joker War Prologue or Prelude? Maybe a little bit. It was kind of fun as someone who didn't read the solicits. <laughs> I know everyone does. It was kind of fun to be suddenly pulled into it. I wasn't 100% expecting that. So I thought that was actually kind of cool. And I don't mind because this book has been so horrible. <laughs> The Joker War appears to be doing it a favor, so so I'm okay with it as long as as it's good stories and keeps me interested. <laughs> yeah, if it if 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 these arcs serve serve as an epilogue into into Joker War, I only ask that I only ask that it's not too heavy. So I'm trying to remember, we have at least one more issue with this arc with Harvey and Joker. And I also, if I can remember, think that Tech is going twice monthly again. And I think that's to catch it up to where it can feed directly into Joker War. So if if, if that's the case, you know... It's fine as long as it's you know doesn't take too long to get into it. I know, I know. Even in Nightwing, you know, Joker's showing up there as well. Um, you know, with his story of of 
trying to make Dick his pawn. So I understand the reason why they're doing it. They're 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 leading into the main event itself. But let's just just get it on and get it, get it going. That's you know. So I'm I'm fine with it though. Yeah, good thoughts. I don't really have my own reaction yet, just because it feels too much like the middle of an arc. It does feel like a little bit of a pivot, because, you know, you have the introduction of Joker, and he's such a big character that it does change the feeling of the book quite a bit. But it is an answer to a question that is asked at the very start, which is, why is Harvey leading a cult? And it's a, I mean, it's a comic booky, but it makes sense, answer to that question. What do you think of Brad Walker's art? It's it's still very characteristic. It's still very bold. How are your reactions to it? I liked it. I mean, it's maybe not necessarily something I'd frame or put up on a shelf, but I think it suited the story very well. Uh, he caught the auction, uh, auction. <laughs> the action very well. His poor little cancer kids are so sad looking, <laughs> and then they're so happy later. Like he just, I feel like he did a good job capturing action and the detective work and Batman covered in slime throughout the whole thing. Because apparently he didn't have a spare bat suit anywhere. Oh, his Joker was so creepy. I hate no face Joker, which is not the artist's fault. That's Snyder's fault. <laughs> but yeah, no, he's actually, terrifying. To be fair, huh? that was actually Tony Daniels' fault. Whatever, whatever. I mean, I'm I'm not a fan of Snyder, but uh, I want to be fair about what we Fine. blame him for. <laughs> Tony Daniels, then, but ill. But you know, it's it's an interesting ill. He does a good job with the ill, and uh, the final Joker is actually very interesting. I thought he kind of looked like Batman. 89 a little bit like I got that vibe of the 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 mechan not the mechanical but the the plastic surgery smile and the just psychotic eyes kind of got that vibe from it so it was interesting seeing two completely different jokers obviously two different times but yeah I really I mean it was creepy and it was good I liked it I am I am a fan of Brad Walker I truly enjoyed enjoy his art made the same comment in the review no, I I, I I definitely am a fan of his. I had no issues with with the art in this arc, with the exception of No Face Joker. I'm not a fan <laughs> of that either. Uh, but it's probably more due to my dislike of Snyder than it is to Tony Daniel. No, I had no issues with it. And and you know, Steph mentioned Steph mentioned the. The scene at the hospital with the kids smiling, you know, that was probably my favorite part of the book, that smile that Batman gave those kids. And with those little pictures they're waving? That, yeah, was, that was a it, really good moment. That was a very, that was a very good moment. I loved it, you know, because, you know, you don't see that much, if at all, from Batman. And I mean, it's that, that quality of inspiration that I think Batman yes. is, is so good at. And, and you know, just for a moment, he let a little bit slip out. And, you know, and, you know, I appreciated it just as much as those kids did as they had their little bat symbols and Batman drawn on paper. That was a very, very, very touching moment. Agreed. I think it's, it's very strong work. There's something that's so, I mean, it, it feels a little overly strong, just the way Batman's chin and and Joker's chin are just so jutting. I don't know. It it has so much detail, but it also has such 
bold designs that it takes a little getting used to for me. It's just very aggressive and very skilled. Like there, there's no laziness. It's it's very detailed and everything is carefully drawn. So I appreciate that. I just it takes me aback. It's just so so bold sometimes. Now, if there if there's one thing I will say that still something I have to get used to with regards to you know this team's artistic way that they they draw Batman is how the cow always has that shiny look to it, and so I don't know if it's because of how they're of how they're depicting the lighting of where he is, but the notion that you know the the cowl is just so shiny it's sometimes it looks too false uh, and other times it's fine, but that's just a little quirk. Yeah, and you know, there's a question of how much of that is the colorist and how much of that is the pencils and inks. What do you think about the choice to make Harvey a second fiddle? I mean, it isn't of his own free will, he's being mind-controlled, but he is a pawn in Joker's game when he's usually, you know, his own crime boss. How does that work for you in this arc? I think that adds an element of, of power or conniving to Joker's plan that, you know, he can do anything <laughs> or make anyone do anything if if he, he can. And in this case, he's using, you know, his injury to gain access literally to his brain. Uh, I think it's, I think it's within character of Joker. I mean, didn't we just see that? I mean, it was Neo-Joker who was doing it, but we just saw that kind of in Oh, no, it wasn't. It was Joker, who used uh, Clayface and Mad Hatter to control all the villains in Gotham. So I think that's very on-brand, very on, you know, par for the uh, match of, of something he would do. And I think because Two-Face is such a powerful character, that's really where, like, the, the twist was, is you weren't really expecting him to play the lackey, even if it was unwilling. Uh, so I think that was that was a good twist, and I thought I thought that was pretty neat. I thought that was cool storytelling. So I'm gonna agree with Steph, but I still don't like it. <laughs> you know, and I and I know we kind of mentioned it jokingly when we reviewed Lil Gotham, but my thought process kind of still feels the same. You know, Harvey is a list. He's you know he he's same level as as the Joker, you know, whereas someone like Clayface and Mad Hatter are all B and C list villains in the Rogues Gallery. So I wasn't too happy that he's being played, but you know, we don't know we don't know if this is the end. You know, we don't know how the arc is gonna end. We don't know what's gonna happen down the line and, you know, knowing Two-Face, you know, when he realizes that he's been played, you know, we may have a new story down the line that I'll be all for. I think you're absolutely right, especially that last part where I don't think Clay, uh, Two-Face is going to go down uh, without a fight. I think he's definitely got his own plans and his own struggles. And I think we sort of saw that in the last issue with, you know, Batman put... Two-Face in the Batmobile, and there was a fight between uh, Two-Face's different parts, and it wasn't just the normal fight between Harvey and Two-Face, it was clearly a fight between Two-Face and Harvey and the Joker's programming, and I think that's a cool 
new layer opened up. Last note, the final page reveals Joker digging and then using dynamite to uncover something that he calls a new recruit, and you see over him two enormous statues of owls. My first thought, of course, is he's digging up Lincoln March, who theoretically was frozen after Batman Eternal, but then Robin Moore brought him back, and then he failed again, so we're assuming he was frozen again. What do you think? Do you think it's just a Talon? Do you think it's Lincoln March? Do you think it's all the Talons, like Night of the Talons again, or Night of the Owls? What do the Owls mean to you for the future of the story? Well, yeah, I'm trying to remember now, because it's been about five years since I read Nightwing. <laughs> um, there was something about Joker and the glasses, maybe? I don't remember. I think so. So obviously Talons are involved somehow. I don't think necessarily it's Lincoln March. It could be, but I think at this point, maybe it's been too long since he's even been mentioned. I don't know, because I barely know anything about him. But Well, I think that's good, because I, I'm still mad that they brought him back a year after he was supposedly <laughs> dealt with for good in Batman Eternal. I'm just like, come on, guys, just let him rest. And now he has rested for about five years, so I think that's a good time to bring a villain back. I feel like if this is a war, and right now all we've seen from Joker is making not friends with other rogues <laughs> I guess getting them to do his bidding but I it would make more sense to me for it to be a whole horde of, of talons rather than just one specific one and this is a lot of work for one one talon could you be telling the, the possible ending of the Joker war where all mm-hmm. of the all of the villains getting revenge on the Joker for you. That would be so cool. It's actually, the Joker War oh, is actually... Oh, I like this idea. Joker War is actually all the rogues versus Joker. <laughs> oh, it's actually like the War of Jokes and Riddles, but no. like for real this time. Yes. Not awful. I mean, I didn't hate War of Jokes and Riddles in the end, but it definitely had a very slow start. This has the opposite of a slow start. It's like so much hype and tension. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want to comment on jokes and riddles. I mean, it, it it was okay. I don't, I don't hold it against King uh, because no. I I know you know from many interviews he said that that wasn't the full story he wanted to tell and that he didn't even want it within you know the pages of Batman itself. He wanted it outside, and mm-hmm. they had him added in. So I won't I won't hold that against him too much. Um, but the idea of, of now bringing the talons into the story, I'm not sure how I feel about it until I actually see what happens. Um, you know, if it's just one, if it's if it's Lincoln March, or if it's a horde of them that he's he's bringing back, um, I'm gonna put myself in a whole pattern and and until it happens, which is probably next week. <laughs> I think that's a, a good idea. There's there's so much so much potential here. I think I mean I've already showed my hand. I think Lincoln March is coming back. Um, I don't know how he's going to use him because Lincoln's not really a fighter. He's uh, much more of a shadow master behind the scenes kind of guy. Uh, he can fight, but that's he doesn't seem to be mostly seen as a physical villain. Um, he wasn't so the one that had a crush. I Barbara, I will be interested. What? It wasn't the one that had a crush on Barbara and was like her partner or something like that, was it? 
in Batman Eternal. That was Jason. Jason. No. Not Jason Todd. Yes, Jason no, Todd. No. Jason Todd and Barbara flirted yes, during Batman Eternal. Yes, they flirted, but no, no. It was the guy that was her partner, and she was mad, and he was, like, investigating her dad after arresting her dad. No, that was the police commissioner. Jason Bard? Jason Bard. Never yeah, that was the police oh, right. commissioner. So then he, he, yeah. he was dating Vicki Vale at the time, though. Wait, but then, he? oh, right, then, this then, is such a soap and then in Batgirl, he has showed up in Batgirl, and that's when he started being nice to her, and she's like, no, you're a jerk. But he, sorry, carry on. <laughs> we had nothing to do with anything. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I think Theo's uh, advice to wait and see is the best way to go. So, we're going to go back to our rating systems out of five batarangs. What would you give Detective Comics 1022? A relative four, which translates probably more into a three and a half. Because compared to where this book has been, (laughs) this is a breath of fresh air. I had detecting, it had cute kids, it had Batman being a human being. It had cool escapes. It had detective work and a cool backstory. And um, it's whatever. It was very much improvement over the last bits of this book. So I'm going to say three and a half. So I can't change the rating that I gave from uh, from the review. So I gave it three battle ranks. Um, it probably could have and should have been slightly higher, you know, maybe closer to a three and a half. Um, but for some reason, I find myself um, grading and, and rating Tomasi much harder than I should. And I guess it's because as someone who's always been a fan of his, I expect more. Uh, and I haven't gotten it yet. And so uh, I've been a little bit harsh. But yeah, three star, three batterings. I'm going to give it three and a half as well. This is definitely a step up and had very good ideas and had that great moment with the kids. So above average, enjoyable. We're going to move on to, oh, and that I think gives an overall rating of three and a half or a median. I still haven't quite figured out how Dustin does those averages, but I'm going to say median rating of 3.5. Moving on to Batman number 92. Written by James Tynan IV, illustrated by Guillaume March, and colored by Tomu More. At Gotham Hospital, Acting Commissioner Harvey Bullock tells a bedridden Oswald Cobblepot that he's going to charge Cobblepot for the murder of three police officers. Cobblepot says he was kidnapped and his own men were murdered, denying the charge. He counters by saying he'd like to press charges against Deathstroke. Knowing that he has no proof that Penguin murdered those men, Bullock threatens to find something he can charge Cobblepot with. Before he finishes his thought, a GCPD officer alerts Bullock to something going on outside Gotham City, lit up in green. Every screen across Gotham has been hijacked by the Riddler, who is broadcasting his latest game for Batman to play. It's a massive crossword puzzle, and Gotham City is the board. Major roads and streets across Gotham have been blocked until Batman can answer the appropriate crossword question correctly. If he answers wrong, Riddler detonates a bomb. Batman, who is bruised and beaten with his bout with Deathstroke last issue, signals Lucius Fox to trace Riddler's location. Riddler responds by cutting off all communication else channels, leaving Batman to fend for himself. 
Beneath Gotham City, Harley Quinn and Catwoman make their way through the sewers. As they near the secret entrance Catwoman is looking for, they're descended upon by more of the designer's zombified GCPD officers. Above ground, Batman and Deathstroke team up to battle more of the designer's zombified police force. They head down into the subway system against Riddler's protests. Batman answers Riddler's crossword puzzle questions while they wait for a train to arrive. A bat train arrives and Deathstroke and Batman board it to head off to parts unknown. Riddler curses Batman, but Batman tells him this wasn't prohibited in the rules. He can still play Nygma's game. Outside the secret entrance in Gotham City's sewer system, Catwoman tells a hologram of the Underbroker, a faceless servant of the underworld to let her into his facility amidst an onslaught of designer goons. She reminds the underbroker that she's a member in good standing and that Harley is a guest of hers who should be welcome as well. The underbroker lets them in. However, he informs them that there may be a conflict of interest. Inside, the facility has been overtaken by Joker's goons. A figure emerges from behind the henchmen, and this is our first true introduction to Punchline, Joker's newest partner. It turns out that Punchline is here to rob the same bank that Catwoman and Harley are after. Harley and Punchline banter before a fight breaks out. In the maelstrom, the Underbroker flees. Catwoman pursues him. Catching him with her whip, she leans in close to the Underbroker and threatens him until he agrees to do as she asks. Back over the airways, Riddler is screaming that Batman is cheating somehow. Batman appears behind him, and Riddler asks how Batman knew where he was broadcasting from. Bruce only says that he recognizes the room. Batman then puts Riddler and Deathstroke to sleep before turning his attention to the other person in Wayne Manor. Hello, Bruce, the designer says, seated comfortably in a chair. Please come in. We should talk a little before I kill you. So, a lot happens in this issue. This was this is really fun to me. I, I don't even know how to prioritize, so we're just going to start with Punchline versus Harley. Did you enjoy Punchline's introduction here? Did you like her battle with Harley? Was it fun or did it feel overhyped? So I have, this is related, I swear. I have had migraines since I was about five years old. And I have, in the past few years, finally figured out that it's posture related. So this first, like, look at her, my my thought, my, my eyes went directly to her shoulders. And I was like, wow, she has wonderful posture. She's a good example for people everywhere on how to sit and stand correctly. <laughs> so that was my first impression uh, through the eyes of someone with medical issues. Um, second was, golly gee, she sure has giant boobs, but they're, you know, decently well covered. Thought she looked cool. Uh, she didn't come out swinging, just, you know, verbally swinging. So I thought that was kind of cool. She kind of gave me a Azula vibe from... From Avatar, The Last Airbender. Just really, like, confident. Like, you know, I'm here to steal the stuff. You guys need to, you know, get lost. This is my robbery. Uh, so I thought that was kind of cool. I don't know if there's necessarily a versus Harley. I guess they do have their banter and they have their moment talking together. But I thought it was actually pretty cool that it wasn't about Joker. Or not directly about, like... It wasn't a relationship conversation. So that was pretty cool that they were just, you know, discussing beating up each other or whatever it was uh, i liked i liked her i don't know i definitely don't think she was worth the hype but she was not as disappointing as the designer or at least not as amusing for the, all the wrong reasons like the designer yeah i am i am going to take some of the same advice that I had in the on the as we discussed batman and i'm gonna hold 
judgment uh, until we actually get an actual battle between those two. You know, a lot of it, you know, was, you know, verbal because in the end, you know, Harley ended up fighting everybody, including the Joker goons. I think, you know, I think JT did a, a good job in clearly establishing the differences between Harley and Punchline. Uh, you know, Harley's like, you know, the new girlfriend, the new boo, and Punchline's like, no, I'm his partner. You know, very serious, you know, no nonsense, you know, clearly an opposite of of who we've all known Harley Quinn to be. So, you know, when those two really do have their drop down drag out, you know, it it, it has the potential to be kind of epic just because you can clearly see that the two of them are really polar opposites, opposites when you look at the differences between how how they feel about the Joker, you know, Harley, you know, was about being in love and she loved Mr. J, whereas it seems here, you know, it's, it's about business for Punchline. I, I consider myself an equal. Uh, so we'll, we'll see how that goes. And I'm going to hold off judgment until that happens. Well, I don't want to get too much into our episode 300 discussion because Punchline's origin story is there. But I will say it's clear from... Uh, James Tynan's newsletter and the punchline origin that came out today or yesterday and this story that he has put a lot of thought into punchline so even though I do think there's been a bit of astroturfing and that DC's highlighted a lot of punchline that doesn't necessarily mean that you know she's going to be a good character but I think that the thought that's gone into it the contrast he's able to highlight between Harley and punchline and you know, the design by Jorge Jimenez, which is executed by Guillaume March here. I'm really excited to see Jorge Jimenez actually draw her because I think I like his rendering better. Guillaume March is known for being, you know, very cheesecake in his portrayal of female characters. And that, as Steph mentions, you know, she's got really well endowed in the chest area. And that's not quite as obvious in Jimenez, although she's very, she's a very fetishy design. She's got a lot of like shininess on her curves and some like broken areas that kind of draw the eye along her body. Like it's, it's definitely very sexy and sensual design. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you with, with regards to March's portrayal of women. Uh, Cause you kind of saw it in some of the scenes with Catwoman as well and how, you know, he, really accent the rear when looking at Selena from from behind, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> yep. But yeah, you're absolutely right with that. But I think that I, I, I am intrigued. I, I was a little annoyed just because we hadn't seen really anything, but now that we've seen some stuff, I think it is interesting. I am, I'm willing to find out more and I'm not annoyed as some other creations of Tynan and Snyder have, have, legendarily annoyed many people on the TVU comic podcast. What do you think of March's art? We've already talked about his handling of punchline, but he, this is a Riddler issue. How do you think he handles Riddler after his really crazy Riddler spine in the first issue of this run? Or I think it might've been the second. No, it was the first one. Yeah. So Riddler's back. What, how does he handle it? 
this is like more of a Halloween Gilliam March, which is convenient because it is him, uh, version of Jim Carrey's Joker. It's kind of the vibe I got from that one, like the buzz cut and the Riddler suit. I like eyes. this. I, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, that wasn't a dislike. I, I definitely like that his body is back to normal. He's standing up straight. His spine is healthily in his body. At least, well, you know, we actually don't see him from behind. He could still have spiny bumps, but from what we can see, he does not have the spiny bumps. Yeah, he's good. He's a good bad guy. Still creepy, but definitely not as creepy in that, as that first issue. Maybe he saw a chiropractor between that issue and this one. Yeah, I definitely agree about the Riddler. Now, there was one panel where you can kind of see see Riddler from the back, uh, and there were no no spiny bones. But again, in in that original issue, you know, um, Nigma didn't have a shirt on, so it's possible that he could still be spiny bone. But I do appreciate that, you know, the way he drew him still allowed him to appear scary. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now that Steph has mentioned it, yeah, he absolutely does look like uh, Jim Carrey's rendition of the character from the movie. Yeah, and after almost 10 years of zero-year Riddler, where he's got those big sideburns and he wears that bowler hat that's, like, really curly... And he's got that sort of no shirt, but he's got a sports coat over it look that I just, I don't like that villain. I don't think it's very interesting looking. It's not, it's just not very interesting in its design. I like when he's wearing that skin tight uniform and this is a different playing with it. I mean, the question marks are in a grid pattern rather than sort of scattered over it like the Jim Carrey one. But this feels classic and it feels more like the Riddler I'm used to. Which segues into, you know, my next question, which is the Riddler did Riddler riddles this time. Yeah, he did. How were you able to figure him out? Um, how did it Listen. feel? Okay, no, I still feel dumb. Okay, so there's the one that was uh, so so Bruce can't see the grid, and so Riddler's upset that he can't see the grid and get the clues, you know, from what, what words you've already solved. So wait, hold on. There's the one. Okay, so so he's asking him uh, how many seconds are there in a year. And then he says the third letter is T from photography. And then Bruce or Batman says 12. But the third letter in 12 is E and not T. And even if maybe he was talking about the third letter from photography, the third letter of photography is O. So was he lying? Am I dumb? Is Was it a writing error? Like That I, did take me a little aback, but I didn't mind too much because I think... For one thing, we know that this Riddler has not slept for, like, three months. (laughs) Uh, For another thing, we know that he might be trying to trick Bruce, and Bruce is just like, aha, I gotcha. But, and so if, that kind of bothered me, too. It's like, okay, so if it's a lie, I feel like Nygma is one of the villains that has integrity, because his, his... his weapon is his brain, and he just wants to prove that he's smarter. And I think it's beneath him to lie to try to trick Bruce. I feel like he's too intelligent for that. I feel like he would want to outwit Batman rather than, yeah, lie. So that bothered me. And so I kind of got hung up on that. But I was I was very excited to see all the riddles, and Eddie got to ask all kinds of questions and get mad when he answered them without hints. And I thought... 
don't know. I thought it was cute. <laughs> I, I like Eddie. <laughs> is it bad to think that one of the villains is precious? <laughs> he's so precious when he's asking his questions. I was happy to see the the riddles come back. Full disclosure, I got all but one right, uh, <laughs> and actually twelve was the one that I missed. Uh, and 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 I'm gonna say it was because of how it was laid out in the comic with the third letter being T for photography, when you know the first letter would be T mm-hmm. and not the third. So I'm gonna stick to that. Um, no, I think that's I, totally I, fair because I had the same problem. Now, you know, me and Ian was talking offline and we were discussing this and, you know, he mentioned just how how much different these riddles were from the riddles in previous runs, uh, particularly from Scott Snyder's. And, uh, yeah, these seemed like more real things. Uh, I I had fun, you know, Answering them as you know before Batman did, and, um, except for twelve. Did you did you yeah. um, do what I did and sort of use your hand to cover up the the answers you could try? And- yes, yes, I did. <laughs> I, I, did. I, I think that's how you should you should play these these comics when you're reading them. You're just like, oh, it's a riddle. Let's see if I can figure it out and cover it up so you don't accidentally uh, cheat and see the answer. I I loved it. Yes, me too. This is classic Riddler. And normally I'm not a big fan of Riddler because I don't like it when, you know, he's calling up and he he leaves a clue for Batman to follow because I think that makes Batman too reactive. But James Tynan gets around that in two ways. One, he makes the Riddler, you know, he's got this big plan, but Batman's got a second plan and he shows up behind Riddler when Riddler wasn't expecting it. So Batman is clearly taking control. He also, you know, just has this, this layout where the Riddle's, fill out a crossword and I think that's that's creative and I think Snyder's done something like that but it didn't make a whole lot of sense I think it was in the backup to All-Star Batman but this this just felt classic I keep saying that but I really like it and it was enjoyable it was just really fun to read and play the game and be immersed in, in Batman's battle against Riddler last question is similar to the question I asked about Detective Comics Punchline's appearance is the the Joker War tie-in here. Do you feel that this story, the designer story, is getting kind of turned into a Joker War prologue rather than sort of wrapping? Because I mean, it feels like designer has sort of gotten lost in his own story, partly because his design's so goofy, but also because so much time has been given to Joker and it's such a vivid thing that we know is coming. How do you feel about the designer and the Joker War and how they interact? Well, because the the whole Riddler thing is part of the designer's whatever plan, trick, whatever's going on. So in that way, I mean, most of it wasn't Joker War. And golly, the only way you really know what Punchline is up to, other than she's robbing a bank, is uh, reading the uh, secret files, which we will talk about momentarily. So it is kind of a mystery why she's there, again, unless you read Secret Files. And so I don't I don't think it's necessarily stealing from the designer's plan. Obviously, the designer being in one panel at the very end in his James Bones Now You Must Die chair. <laughs> uh, all he was missing is the white cat, right? And although his hood could be a white cat. But anyway. So... 
I don't feel like the Joker War is hijacking it. I just feel like the designer is such a small part of his own plan, but I wonder if that's the point. Like, he is the plan designer. He's not the main show, whereas with Joker, he likes to be the center of attention. I mean, you don't wear that much makeup and wear purple suits take your face off because you don't want to be the center of attention. So I I feel like the the plan is not being stolen by Joker, like the plot of the story, but I, I don't I'm not disappointed by the designer not being front and center because I think that's his MO. Which is a little forgettable for a comic. That's a really good point. I hadn't thought of the fact that he's a behind-the-scenes mastermind rather than necessarily a big confrontational guy. I think that does make for difficult story structures, but yeah, that's a good point. Well, Theo, what do you think about these Well, I'm going gonna, gonna to kind of go a step route, and I'm going to say, you know, one of the things that I first asked when, when we got that first look at of the designer was whether or not Tynan was going to make him you know, a formidable villain, you know, for the future or whether or not he was going to be seen as as a plot tool. Um, and I'm kind of wondering if that's where we're going now because we now know that both Joker and the designer pretty much have the same plan of, of stealing the Wayne fortune, although it definitely seems like they're going different routes of doing so uh and seeing that you know by the time this arc is over uh we're going to be heading into joker war i'm kind of on the uh kind of of the opinion that uh you know the designer might go by by the wayside uh for a while if not for good um so yeah i think it's kind of a plot to uh to just get us into into uh, the Joker War, but hey, you know Tiny can prove me wrong, and I'll be okay with that too. I guess my asking the question sort of reveals my thought. I do think designers kind of getting overshadowed by Joker, partly because it's just Joker, partly because so much of this story has involved little prologues that set up Joker War and punchline being such a big thing, um, and the fact that designers' design is just. <laughs> Not great. I'm looking at it right now, and I'm just like those <laughs> boots and that fur collar, and it, I just I'm not a, I'm not a big fan, especially when you have someone like the Underbroker, who's basically the same but doesn't have the stupid boots or the collar, um, or the D on his face. <laughs> I just I don't know. It's I I think that he is interesting, but he's definitely not going to be a favorite. We'll have to see if he becomes as annoying to me as Mother did in Batman and Robin Eternal, but he's definitely headed that direction for me. Uh, let's give our ratings to Batman number 92. Hmm. Story clipped along nicely. We got to see Selena's part and Bruce's part. I think it was all very interesting, very well drawn, even if a little cheesecakey. Um... Gosh, I hate, again, I hate to give it the same score as Detective Comics because it is on a slightly different level, but four almost seems too high, but I'm going to give it a, a four, four minus. Can I do that? <laughs> a four, but not quite a four. Is that a three, seven, five? Uh, I mean, I am allowing you to do that 3.75. Watch you struggle with your math later. 
<laughs> Bad ranks. <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 giving this a, a four. You know, the story flowed really well, and the art. You know, I, I fan of Gillian March. Um, you know, fan of Jimenez as well. But you know, if 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 he's off the book, you know, for an issue or two, and this is his backup, you won't hear any complaints from me at all. I'm also giving it a four, so I, I agree. It's just this is a fun comic to read. Now, I, as everyone knows, I loved reading Tom King's Batman, but that was often just a meditative book. You'd sit, you'd sit and think about it. You, you'd have to wrap your head around some of the ideas and maybe go back and reread a bunch of stuff. This was just fun. It was classic Riddler. You had Punchline's introduction, which was a really good contrast. You got all the the intrigue surrounding the designer and all this world building that Tynan's doing. And I haven't even remembered if Batman had a new gadget. I know one of his big things is Batman has a new gadget or a new vehicle every issue. I don't even remember because so much happened in this one. It was really fun. Four out of five. He had that knockout gadget or the knockout. The one that he knocked out uh, Deathstroke with? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he had the train. Oh well, oh, that's right. I was so excited. We didn't even talk about the train. I, I feel like so the train was stolen train. from his Detective Comics run because that was what Tim that's built. Fine. You know, that's continuity. Yeah, I I do love that. I, I I love the fact that Tynan wrote both of those, and he clearly remembers what he did. That's that's cool stuff. Um. So yeah, four out of five, and that gives an overall score of four out of five for this right. one. Over on the website, um, Scott, who did Yeoman's work this week of writing. Three different reviews, two of which were oversized. So well done, Scott. Um, Scott gave it also a four out of five. So that's definitely a four out of five overall for Batman number 92. Um, we're going to talk a little bit. We're not going to do a full review or synopsis of Batman Secret Files number three. Um, but I want everyone to pick out their favorite story and talk a little bit about that. And we also have a couple thoughts on stories that may not have been your favorite. I didn't really love any of them. I'll have to say, I guess, if I had to pick a favorite, it would be the second one, which was... Uh, oh, right. So each of these stories highlighted one of the villains that was introduced at the beginning of Tynan's Batman run. So it's who is it? It's Cheshire, uh, the gunsmith, Mr. Teeth, <laughs> and Deathstroke. Is that the only... Is it just four? Or is it uh, there's one more... I can't... Obviously, because there's five, and you named four, I think. Yeah, I did. I'm Mr. Teeth, Deathstroke. I only see four. Cheshire. Um. Revolutionary guy, Mr. Teeth. Yeah, it's just four. Oh wait, no, hold on. Am I? Oh no, who's the one? Oh, oh, oh. The 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 one I'm talking about is the. Is the rogue guy, the the archist. Oh, what was his name? Oh, Merlin. Merlin. Oh, yeah, the oh. arrow guy, Evil Green Arrow. <laughs> so even the one that I'm talking about, I couldn't remember who it was. Yes, so well, the one I'll pick is 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 the Merlin one, the second one, uh, Hunters. Just because I like Ollie and Bruce, and we never get Ollie and Bruce in Batman, in the TBU. I think the only place I've really read it is in... Um, Injustice. Kudos to Tom Taylor. I, I thought it was cute. And even though it was a little silly, the way they were talking to each other, I still appreciate it. Because it's so rare that, that Bruce has a billionaire peer 
to talk to. Like all of his his peers are usually superheroes or or his kids or or whatever. And this is like someone that he relates to on a completely different level than everyone else. So I just like their relationship and I think it's it's precious. The story itself was fine. It's written by like. it's written by Philip Kennedy Johnson and drawn by Victor Ibanez, colored by Jordi Belair. And I, I agree, it's a fun story and, and well drawn. I just had a little bit of difficulty buying that Batman could function with three arrows sticking out of his back, <laughs> but he's Batman. Well, after the fir- after the first two stories, I was like, "Is this is this everyone versus Bruce's lungs? Like, is every episode going to be, or is every story going to have someone trying to destroy his lungs? Because the first one was poison, the second one is arrows, but then then it went away." <laughs> and it kind of piggyback on what 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 Steph was saying about you know the the commonality between. Bruce and Ollie, you know, the other thing, you know, they, they have is the fact that neither have a superpower, mm-hmm. um, you know, you know, unless you are one of those who considers, you know, Ollie's uh, archery ability to be a superpower. But, you know, these guys, you know, those two together are, are both superheroes with no special abilities, no, no, no yep. meta abilities. So that's appreciated for me. My favorite story was the first, uh, with Cheshire, written by Via, Via, Vida Alea. Truly enjoyed it. If there was ever, you know, if there was ever an argument that Batman is ready for a female writer on a regular basis, she would be my choice. I'm a big fan of hers. She did Livewire for Valiant. She's doing James Bond right now for Dynamite. She is a very good writer. I enjoyed how she gave us a, she gave us a, a Batman who was trying to reach. This is obviously a younger Cheshire. You know, back when she's first on the scene, she looks younger in you know in the story. And in the end, you know, you could you could see that Bruce was really trying to reach her before she really went over to the dark side and of course he fails but i definitely enjoyed that story my least favorite story i'm sorry is mr teat uh, i hated it uh with a passion i can't get those images out of my mind and maybe that was the point but um yeah i don't want to see that again well, yeah, if we're talking least favorite, definitely, because, I mean, for so many different reasons, like, nothing happens in that story. I think half of it was me just trying to figure out if that was Selena on the couch on her phone, but it's literally one, two, three, three pages of the story are just this woman on her phone and then close-ups of the guy's teeth. Like, it was gross and boring and just, just awful. Just awful. Awful. So, so many teeth. <laughs> yeah, I I agree with Theo. My favorite was definitely also the Cheshire, which is called Don't Hold Your Breath. As he highlighted, it was Vita Ayala. The artist was Andy Tong. Alejandro Sanchez was colors. It was also a really pretty book, just a uh, story, rather. I like the fact that it brought up a lot of the arguments against Batman, but it gave them, you know... It was clearly coming from a bad place because Cheshire was looking for an excuse to justify her sadism and her her psychopathy. 
And Batman, I think, was honestly trying to reach out to her. I don't. Perhaps he was being a bit egotistical and thinking he could he could help someone, but I don't think it's it's wrong for someone to think they can help someone. And I appreciated the the thematic complexity there uh, of using common arguments about Batman being arrogant and even I think patriarchal was thrown out because she's a villain, she's a, a a woman and he's a man. But I think that it's complicated. It made me think a bit, and I enjoyed that. Um, however, I think Steph had a few thoughts on some things that went on in this uh, Cheshire story. Yeah. So, again, like I was saying, this is the world versus Bruce's lungs. So he actually gets to go to a doctor. And I actually, so in my defense, I had forgotten what she looked like in Tynion's run on, on tech. And so when I saw her, I was like, good Lord, who is this 25-year-old woman treating Batman and then we realized, or you guys made me realize that it's Leslie Tompkins. And I was like, but the last time we saw her, she was literally 80 years old and had grandma hair when she was featured in Tech 1000, which was by a different artist, different writer, had nothing to do with this run. I know. What is it? It's a, it's a, it was a tribute to. It's a sequel to his original story, which sequel. invented Leslie Tompkins at yeah. that age. Back but in the 70s. Still, the fact that one of the most recent times we've seen her, she was an octogenarian. And now she's so young. And I was like, next time we see her, she's going to be a teenager. Like, she's Benjamin Buttoning her way through this story. But then I did look at some older pictures of, of the most recent tech, recent tech run. And that is what she looks like. She's got the weird mullet and the... the, the narrow uh, glasses so I, I i i was okay i'm okay with her being this young even though she took care of bruce when his parents died so she shouldn't be this young whatever yeah i i wasn't crazy about that either and you know steph and i kind of discussed it uh before recording you know because again you know being in comics for as long as i've been you know I'm used to the Leslie Tompkins, who at one point in time, uh, you know, had this official, unofficial, you know, relationship with Alfred. And, you know, now here it is. She looks, you know, if not Bruce's age, pretty damn close. And, yeah, I don't know. I actually would argue she looks younger than Bruce in this shot. She's so young looking. Yeah, so it, 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 it's it's just one of those things that will drive, especially a long-time comic book reader, really insane. You know, when, when, when characters are aged or de-aged. Well, I was mentioning this as well. I am really frustrated that Jim Gordon still has red hair. I want him to have white hair again. I love white hair, Commissioner Gordon. And I think that it should happen because characters of older ages should be allowed to be in comics in my Batman, you know? And then my other tiny rant was about the Deathstroke one, which is actually very good. And I recommend that you go out and at least read it in your local comic book shop, even if you don't buy it. Um, because that does give a lot of the Joker's motivation for what he's doing in Batman and what Deathstroke is doing in Batman. Which was interesting and definitely insightful and actually made me forget what I had learned in the special and what I had read in the comic (laughs) in Batman. But 
the sort of overarching story is Batman and Deathstroke fighting, which they're doing at the beginning of 92 and the end of 91. But the bottom of the screen says to be continued in Batman 95. So that means that they're going to fight again. And, uh, you know, I feel like they've done that a lot already. (laughs) And I hate that now we have foreshadowing that they might fight again. And it's like, do they? There's a lot of fighting. <laughs> this is a new way of doing off paneling. You just put it in a different book. In a different book, which is, oh, that's actually kind of clever. I mean, this is a Batman book. I don't know if you really would expect not fighting in a Batman book. But it would kind of like be like, what is it? Tolkien has the Samarillion, all the, all the appendices. It's like this, it's just the Batman appendices. <laughs> it's like referred to. Well, that is the point of the secret files. I mean, I don't want to go into my full rant, but I still think they should be having profiles with heights and weights and origin stories and paragraphs and a pinup art. And I miss the old secret files when it actually was a secret file and not just off panel land. But this was not terrible. Because I thought they had that, but then I realized it was just an ad for the Joker special. Anyway, since we're not doing a full review, we won't do ratings for Batman Secret Files, but we've sort of given you a flavor of our favorite and some of our least favorite stories. So Batman Secret Files number three out today or this week. (laughs) Um, We don't have any listener feedback, but I hope that you guys will give us some feedback for episode 300. We're going to be recording that next week. So please get it in over the weekend with Discord or Twitter. We'll be happy to read that online on the podcast and respond if you would like to join dbu's family of reviewers or podcast hosts we do still have openings all kinds of different things you could do we're always happy to have new members of our community whether readers or creators we also are very grateful for our patreons and supporters the following people have contributed to the site and that is gerald green donald townsend tim grassi captain america karinas mary garrett real no deuces stanton's grave Brendan Roberts, Donovan Morgan Grant, Ed Grouse, Rob O, Ian Miller, Arturo Juarez, Stephanie Mounts, Joshua Lappin Bertoni, Hannah Gar, Johnny McCloskey. Uh, Theo, did you contribute too? Of course. Then Theo is also a contributor. I don't know why he's not on there, but we appreciate him as well. So that wraps us up for Batman Universe Comic Podcast, Season 12, Episode 12, Legacy Number 299. Remember to tune in next week for Episode 300. 300. And 300. this has been Ian. This has been Steph. And this is Anonymous Camel. <laughs> also known as The Wonderful Theo. And we'll have you new content next week.